You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. All right, everybody, welcome back to Real Estate Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr, back with Jack Bevere and Fred Lewis of the Dominion Group here in Baltimore. And we're also uh, here today with Dennis Cisterna. Dennis uh, owns a company with Fred called uh, Sentinel Net Lease. A real estate investment firm founded in two, 2019 that focuses on acquiring commercial real estate investments that either produce monthly cash flow or that possess uh, profit potential via value add. And so, one of the we're kind of shifting our focus right now to talk more about commercial real estate and what Fred and Dennis are seeing in the market, and including Jack as well. And I think we all feel that there's a, a shift. Um, that has happened. It sounds like you've been really beating the bushes for several months to find decent commercial deals to get into, but that's been proving to be a bigger needle in a haystack than you would like. Sounds like you've been a little bored over the last several months, but you might might be seeing a shift. Well, I don't know if bored is the right word. Frustrated is probably <laughs> frustrated better. Frustrated is probably the better word, yes. Exactly. But, uh, you know, sometimes we get frustrated too long, you just kind of give up and then you get bored. Um, uh, no, it's it's been really an interesting market to follow. Why don't you tell people, do a better job of telling people about Sentinel Net Lease than I just did? Oh, what sure. You, uh, how you got into I, the business? I, I, well, I think you read the copy from the website excellently, Craig, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Uh, I wrote it. You know, it's easy. Uh, in any case, it's uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, Fred and I started Sentinel Net Lease uh, in late 2019. Um you know, we originally were, were looking at some smaller investments uh, to put out capital uh, for, for actually a, a family trust, kind of a little bit backstory here. And uh, I have a long history in acquisitions in not only build for rent and SFR, but also in commercial real estate as well. Uh, I, I've really uh, worn a number of hats throughout my career. So he asked me to assist him. Uh, so we started looking at a bunch of retail, uh, industrial, office assets, and we were looking kind of in the the three to five million dollar range, and I wasn't really seeing anything that I thought was particularly compelling. Uh, but I noticed if we go kind of one level up to to you know let's call it seven million to to twenty million, which is essentially kind of the middle market of commercial real estate, there was a lot of interesting opportunities. There was not the same type of pricing consistency you were seeing at this lower level. Um, and what we realized was a lot of the smaller smaller opportunities were really the prices were governed by 1031 buyers, right? So people that were in need of buying a new asset to replace their old one. And so the pricing for a lot of those assets was, was, was highly commoditized. You know, we were looking at Starbucks and uh, Taco Bells and Walgreens, and, and they all traded within a very tight price band regardless of the location, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, mm. And then when we went one level up, we, we started to see some really interesting opportunities there where the pricing was not really tied to the risk in a lot of scenarios. Um, brokers didn't really understand um, what an asset should be priced to relative to the risk. So a property could be in a, a great location or a bad location, have a great tenant, a bad, a bad tenant. There was, there was no real consistency where you could see anything on a sliding scale. It was just kind of all over the place. Um, and, and a lot of that is because that middle market doesn't have the same depth of investors that the small market does or that the larger institutional do. So, uh, you know, 
25 years ago, seven to $20 million would have been an institutional size deal. But as, as private equity and hedge funds have gotten larger, um, those are small deals. So now it's middle market. So it's kind of mo most of that market is comprised of, of syndicators, family offices, uh, you know, non-institutional investors. So there's a lot less of us. So um, the, the pricing is not nearly consistent. So we saw some interesting arbitrage opportunities. Um, we tied up our first deal, which was an Amazon customer service center in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, I did not know much about Huntington, West Virginia, other than uh, it was known for Marshall University and methamphetamines. Um, but but we loved we loved we loved we, we loved sorry to the folks at Huntington. I, I now have learned to love that town as I as I visited it with Fred. But um, it, it it was an interesting opportunity. Uh, it, it was something that we were not gung ho at first, but we started to understand. Um, the narrative around it. And I think that's what we've learned in, in our business to send on that lease is the deep dive that some desktop analyst jockey is not going to understand sitting at a desk in New York or LA. You know, we go into the towns where we're looking at considering assets. We meet with the mayor, we meet with the economic development department, and we understand what drives that piece of real estate. We understand what drives, um, uh, that tenant um, and, and what that narrative is around, why it's important to that community, that tenant, whoever. And, and that helps us understand and price appropriately. And it's allowed us to grow the portfolio from that initial Amazon deal of, of almost $17 million to uh, nearly $300 million in assets in you know a little over three years. Um, and we did this, we closed on Amazon in right when COVID was going underway, when the country shut down was when we closed on Amazon. And so we're raising capital for our first deal. We had, you know, and literally they are shutting down basketball games and the golf tournaments and everything else. And we're going, whoa, well, if there's one company that's probably going to survive in through all this, it's the company that's delivering stuff to everybody. If no yeah, one can go outside. So we should probably close on this deal. Uh, literally about 25% of our investors walked away uh, just because they were spooked overall. Uh, we walked a lot of them back in and said, look, where else are you, where else, what other company is going to thrive in this environment better than Amazon? Um, it worked out well. Um, and, and over, you know, the next three years, we, we were able to create a, a very strong reputation as someone that can do exactly what we say we're going to do. It's tough for syndicators. Um, and, and we bought what we thought were, you know, very, you know, we took a very thoughtful approach to the assets we acquired. We, we acquired a number of, of, of essential services, tech forward, mission critical real estate. So uh, customer service centers, corporate headquarters, grocery stores, all that produce extremely strong cash on cash return from day one and that we used highly accretive debt on. So we've been, you know, pretty fortunate to grow the portfolio over that period of time. Um, and and do something that a lot of other investors weren't doing. We were we were creating our equity the day we bought it. I have to I'm, stop. Uh, uh, I'm Jack, what, what, what are you what are you smiling? What are you about, smiling Jack? at, Jack? I'm smiling because 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 I remember Fred pitching me on, hey, I'm you know talking to Dennis, and it's like it's late 2019. He's like, hey, I, you know, I think we're going to start doing this net lease stuff. Like, do you know do you want to do you want to be involved? And I'm like, net lease business. Like, isn't that like buying isn't that buying like a seven cap and then levering it with like five and a half percent debt 
like so you can get a levered 12 like uh nah i'm i'm cool like thanks and then you guys do this amazon deal and in in the midst of covid and then post covid year off to the races and all of a sudden the seven cap became a 10 cap and the five and a half percent debt became a fucking four so all, all of a sudden well, these like levered 12 be- in most cases but it's okay yeah. by the way a levered a levered 12 is phenomenal if you're actually buying it a seven and borrowing it five and a half you're getting like a levered eight eight and a quarter yeah maybe. yeah yeah exactly 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 um like and so all of a sudden fred's like showing me you know showing me these deals that so i pass right i'm like now nah, like go have fun go have fun with those and then uh and then you guys start bringing in these levered 20 pluses like every like 45 days and i'm like shit like what what do you guys you know what 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 do you guys so what are you guys up to like uh you know hey send me the next one can i uh can i throw in on that one please like i think, I think we got jack in a few of these deals right <laughs> we did. We did. yeah I, I, but yeah you're you're very great very gracious and let me jump in the coattails that i had passed on well well trust me we we, we wish you were involved earlier because you're you're a great operator and a smart guy but we'll gladly take your money anytime you want to give it Greg, I think that the easiest thing to help the investors understand kind of our investment strategy is, you know, think of it as, you know, if you if you look at the traditional investment model of of core investing, value add or opportunistic, most of what we're buying are core assets. Um, So usually class A office, industrial retail, but they're going to be in 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 primary or secondary markets. And they may not have the same type of term, you know, which is usually 15 years plus for most core investors. We'll, we'll take on deals that have is, you know, is, at least historically, we'll have taken on deals that maybe have even only two or three years of lease term left if we understand the asset good enough. And an example so, of that. Go ahead, Jack. So, so like, as a, so the, so, and then the the opportunity that comes from that is that frankly because of the price point which is neither you know which is neither 1031 small investor commercial real estate nor is it 50 million plus institutional real estate you've got this this you know it's, so there's this middle market that is less institutional and um and the you know a lease term or some other situation with like a distressed seller or a motivated seller or you know there's some story behind you know there's some narrative behind the opportunity that has enabled you guys in this as you mentioned like less liquid market to find what you think is you know a couple extra 100 basis points of unlevered return and then you go put great debt on it and you're you know you're finding a good you're finding good deals right that's right and so in so, theory in theory in th- we've we've done it a few times obviously it depends on how the exit works out you know, having interest rates at seven percent plus doesn't help anybody uh, right now. But for most yeah, of our deal, kind of I was hoping to make. That. Yeah, well, look, I I think one of the benefits we have because we syndicate all of our deals on a one by one basis, we're not set up in a fund environment where there's an investment horizon or an expiration date um, that we're fighting against. We don't have a gun to our head to make a bad investment decision when it comes to a disposition. So. We buy these assets thinking about, you know, it's great if we sell in three years. It's great if we sell in five years. It's great if we sell in eight years. We don't, it it produces a strong enough cash on cash return. It's going to beat the heck out of any other fixed income property you're going to go look for. Um, It, from a risk comparison, the credit is typically secured by, you know, 
high credit rated or even investment grade companies. Um, so you look at what their corporate bonds trade out versus what this clips a coupon at, and they're not apples to apples. This is not as, as liquid as a corporate bond, but it, it helps to look at a comparison from the risk standpoint because the default rate is very low for an investment grade uh, a tenant. But we're, we're looking at all these things and we're kind of saying, okay, look, we, 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 we have a primary scenario. And if it does this, we think we can generate a, a return of, of, of a certain number. But if we hold on to it a little earlier, we sell a little, or we hold on to it a little later, we sell a little earlier, that's fine too. We're going to make the smartest investment decision um, that at the time that it makes the most sense. So right now we're not a seller of assets because why would we be? We don't have to sell. We've secured everything with long-term debt. Um, and, and now we're looking, now we're taking advantage of the changes that have occurred in the market. So whereas two years ago, if I could buy a deal at an eight cap and it has eight or nine years of lease term left and I can borrow it three and a half, well, that's going to produce a, uh, a low teens uh, cash on cash for our investors. They're going to get the majority, if not all of their capital back just from contractual lease income. Great. Maybe that deal is only maybe that deal is only uh, five or six years of terms uh, back then. Now, because of the shift in interest rates, you know, we're not looking at a single deal under a nine cap uh, before our, our minimum threshold was a seven. So even though interest rates have gone up 300 plus basis points, um, our, our shift on cap rates has moved up uh, only 200 basis points. But our duration has gone from a minimum of two or three years up to nothing less than uh, than seven and a half, right? So that's, so, that's nothing less than seven and a half years left on the lease. That's right. Yes, right. Because we need to make sure that if not 100%, 90%, 80% of the capital during the contractual lease term goes back in, in distributions to the to the investors. That is the, that is the thesis we're working under now, given the market. So one of the things that we were talking about prior to uh, uh, pressing record today was that you've sensed a shift. Um, you know, obviously we, we've had a disconnect between interest rates and, and asking prices um, on assets. So you're, you're sensing a shift uh, recently. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, I think you have seen, and this is not everybody because trust me, I could, I could screen share here and show you hundreds of deals that make no freaking sense to anybody. I don't even think the brokers want to post them at this price, but you know, if they want to take the listing and they got to retain their relationship with the seller, you know, th there's some, some pretty laughable listings still out there right now that have been out there for some time. And uh, those don't get any traction and eventually they go away. But I have seen in the past 30 days, a pretty significant increase in, the baseline ask from sellers on what I would consider to be pretty high quality assets with decent duration left. So um, <clears throat> as an example, you know, a, you know, before 30 days ago, I was seeing a lot of office uh, properties kind of in the mid seven cap range. I was seeing a lot of industrial in the fives, I was still seeing some um, some multifamily in the fours. I still see some multifamily in the fours. I don't really want to talk about that, but um, good for those cash buyers, I guess, Jack. Um, anyway, uh, so 
now I've seen about I, I've literally seen the span of the last 30 days. I've seen almost like the baseline ask move up about 100 basis points, if not more. Um, no. And those brokers are knowing they're not going to get a bid at full ask. Right. So so you're looking at a, a 100 to a 200 basis point swing in terms of what some of these sellers are expecting. Um, and that's made it a lot easier to have real conversations and dig into assets now. I will tell you from May of 2022 um, until a month ago, um, it was plodding along, as you said, Craig, needle in a haystack type of stuff. And and we are, you know, we thrive on situational opportunities. We mm-hmm. did that even when the market was good. But even those markets seem to go away. Even that market kind of went away for a little bit um, or it was harder to locate some of those deals. Um, and and as, as I said, we don't buy anything using negative leverage. So it was it was just just tough sledding for a long time. We only bought two assets over a uh, over more than a year period. And before that, we were typically buying six, seven, eight assets uh, a year, you know, you don't go well, to you said that, that's after looking at hundreds and hundreds of deals, correct? Yeah, I, we look at about 200 deals a week, um, mm-hmm. 200 deals a week. And I don't mean like we get an email, we get an email on about a thousand deals a week uh, of those about 200 get an actual review of some type. Uh, and we put out maybe on a good month over the last year, we put out maybe two or three offers a month. Mm-hmm. Um and that's probably being aggressive. Um, now, that's, that's, I, something, that, that's something that I've always liked about the Sentinel deals is that s- since I know the way you guys raise capital is not to have raised a fund that you have pressure to then deploy, but instead you're raising money on a deal by deal basis. When I get a Sentinel email about you know, the, the the latest deal, I'm like, ooh, Dennis and Fred found something. Like this, this mm-hmm. must be interesting. Like. Because you know, that's that's uh, how we, that's how we feel too, Jack. Trust me, because it's pretty <laughs> freaking boring if you can't find anything that pencils. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, well, we, we we appreciate that. No, I think uh, I I think it's a tremendous money you know effort in this market to to kind of find value, and uh, you know whether you have a fund, whether you don't have a fund, whether you do a, you know a syndication one at a time is is what investors have to think about. Whether it's doesn't matter what the asset class is, multifamily, uh, office, retail, industrial. It's it's how you want to raise money. Uh, we've taken the approach that not only is it our money that we're investing, but as we syndicate our friends and our friends and family capital, we, you know, we we'd rather lose our money than lose their money. You know, if you're guided by that principle that it's more important that, that you don't lose a penny of, of anyone's money that you raise. I think it, it makes yourself, it's more discriminating and, and harder because you so, want to so, make sure you return, you know, that you return their capital. Plus. So, so let me ask, let me ask about that. So like given, given that you guys are still reviewing office assets and have office assets in the portfolio, and you know, and the future of office usage in America, frankly, is like got a tremendous amount of still uncertainty around it. You know, interest rate environment aside, just you know, there's questions about like the the fundamentals of the asset class. How are you guys thinking about downside risk protection in that regard? 
So, so I think it's important to note that we don't just buy generic office, right? We're, we don't buy a bill, a random building chock full of 40 tenants that, you know, has a law firm and an architecture firm, whatever. We're generally buying mission critical real estate to a firm. So as an example, uh, our, our latest acquisition, which we actually close on uh, next week, uh, it's an insurance company's headquarters in Davenport, Iowa. I'm sure nobody listening knows where Davenport, Iowa is, or maybe a small population does, but it's in the, the Quad right, Cities so, area. So just, just to be clear, guys, we've already lost Hawthorne, West Virginia, and Davenport, Iowa as our <laughs> listenership. It's, so it's Huntington, West them. Virginia, and I'm bringing them back. <laughs> uh, no, da at Davenport, I, I will tell you, uh, much as I was pleasantly surprised when I went to Huntington, West Virginia, and a number of other places we own assets, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I went to Davenport. So... Davenport is part of the Quad Cities uh, metro area. It's on the, the the state border of Iowa and Illinois, a couple hours west of Chicago. This insurance company is a wholly owned subsidiary of a much larger Fortune 500 insurance company. Um, they've been in this area for almost a century. Um, hmm. They were in their last building, which was on a landlocked side of town uh, of the uh, of another town in the Quad Cities um, for 30 plus years. Old decrepit building. This was a build to suit for them. They love it. They have every desk full and occupied here. Um, and, and so they have great utility in the well, building. And, and so, so we like the narrative around it. Can I ask? Can I so just, so they're, they're not, they're, they're not working the, from home? That's the incremental <laughs> test now. Dennis flies in <laughs> and literally says, <laughs> are you sitting at your desk or, or are you an actor? You came in to, you know, for, the, for the meeting. Yeah. We have a pro forma on on who shows up to work. That's um, right. Yeah, I, I, man, I'm in, I'm so intrigued by the amount of due diligence that has to go into something like that. Like, at what point do you get on a plane, go out there, really, you know, start looking at all of these factors that go into, you know, putting this putting the deal together? So we do a lot of, you know, this is probably unique. The commercial real estate acquisition process is a lot more detailed than fix and flip buying uh, or, or maybe even single family rental uh, because the amount of variables is, is so much greater. Um, not that, not that doing residential investing is hard, but I can, I can assure you some of the, the, the quantifying some of the risk around commercial real estate investing is tough. So we are already doing, you know, uh, desktop review and analysis before we have the before we even submit an offer right so we have a good understanding on where 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 the property is positioned rent wise relative to the market uh, at what discount are we buying to replacement cost that's also a, a a sticking point of pretty much every asset we acquire um and and understanding what our projected return of of capital is from contractual income as fred mentioned earlier so in this deal i think it's like you know, 80% or something is contractual income coming back. So, you know, n not only do we want to create profit, but we also want to make sure on the downside, we're, we're minimizing any potential loss by, by any means necessary. Um, and then as soon as we have the, the, the property tied up, um, I am on a plane somewhere or Fred is, Fred is driving somewhere. If it's in the Northeast, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fly across the country just to have Fred to drive 45 minutes. But, um, but but we're 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 boots on the ground 
um, meeting with the the stakeholders of the property. So, you know, your prop, your existing property owner, the tenant, um, municipal uh, uh, and elected officials to understand really how does this fit into into that market? Um, why is this building important? Um, how sticky is the the likelihood of this tenant sticking around here and, and everything else? So, um, can I ask you it, something? It's fun. Sure. It is. I mean, it must be tremendously uh, interesting and fun. But when I, I've met with municipal officials before, you know, planners, mayors, city council members, Fred, Fred and Jack have certainly had their more than their fair share of that, too. They tell, you know, you get the truth and then you get the rosy truth and you get the, you know, we're, we're pretty sure this is going to be in part of the master plan and stuff like that. And so how do you discern from the bullshit to the to what's real? Well, you, I think what you guys are generally talking about is talking to elected officials as it relates to proposed developments and potential developments. It's a totally different type of conversation when you're talking about something that's already part of that community. Right. So, right. so when, when we talked to the mayor of Huntington, West Virginia about our Amazon asset, he gave us this great background story that you would never get anywhere else, which was, well, you see just, here. Just to get, just give you the picture. He was in a tweed brown suit with a button down vest underneath it with El a little elbow patches and elbow patches. And elbow patches. And he had, a feather, he had a feather in his hat as he sat there to talk to us about. It was, it was perfect. Yeah, it was. Cadillac DeVille. You know, I didn't get, didn't get to see what vehicle he parked, he pulled up in. But I, I will tell you, it was, it's a conversation you're just, you're not going to get unless you go ask for it. And so he gave us this great background story of the reason that Amazon is in Huntington, West Virginia, is because one of Amazon's head real estate guy married a girl from Huntington and the girl from Huntington was back in town visiting with, with some, some people and the pastor was there and a pastor from the church explained how great it would be for the community. If Amazon and swear to God, they put everything together. Marshall university was now part of the pitch in that we will train people to work at your customer service center here. You have a great feeder. We already have a lot of customer service centers in Huntington. We're the perfect market. For, and so Huntington sold Amazon on why they should be there. Now they've been there for 20 plus years. And, um, and, and, and as the mayor said to us, Amazon is an anchor employer here in that other big companies want to come to Huntington because Amazon is here. And so they, so they said, they said, you know, if these guys are ever going to leave, I'm going to call the governor and we're going to put together a tax incentive package to make sure they never go. Or, and hmm. Fred and I heard that and said, okay, this sounds pretty good to us. What's for lunch? So, uh, so, so shifting back to kind of the overall market and what you've been seeing when you're talking to brokers, how, you know, you, you've mentioned that you felt like the, that the, you know, that there's more capitulation, right, on the seller yeah. side and that deals are coming out even from brokers and through brokers at, at a higher cap rate, a cap rate that may even make, you know, may even make sense or comes close to make, making sense from the get go. Can you, like, so what's the, is there like color behind that or yeah, is it yeah. just a trend so, that you've noticed? Like so what's, this, what's the why? This goes back to the excellent commentary we had on episode 12, where we talked about people 
are realizing that interest rates are not going back down tomorrow. And that includes mm-hmm. these sellers that obviously, in, for the most part, have been institutional or quasi-institutional owners of, of real estate. Uh, they realize that if interest rates aren't going down in the next couple of years, and I have a lease that's burning off, right? It, the, the, that lease term is getting shorter over time. I probably am not going to get a better value on this property in two years unless something dramatic happens. So I might as well sell now and then hold on to that capital and maybe buy something else later. Um, so so you have sellers starting to understand that, hey, I'm I might be at I might be at peak value right now, even though interest rates are high, because, you know, the industrial retail office market is a little different from multifamily and SFR in that we, we, you know, we calculate the lease term as a part of the way to derive value. So, um, so the longer the lease term, the lower the cap rate. Uh, Now, unfortunately for the sellers right now, the interest rates are, you know, six and a half to 7% um, for, for office industrial and retail, maybe a little lower than that if you get, you find the right bank, but um, uh, so, so they're going to have to sell it a, a, a spread that's positive to that because they know there are no buyers out there buying with negative leverage on these type of assets. Save a little bit, uh, save for multifamily, which has some cash buyers and some other speculative guys because they're also kind of long on housing, as we talked about with SFR, Jack. Uh, and then a little bit on industrial uh, because guys are making a macro bet on uh, the way that that. Uh, logistics are going to continue to grow in the United States over the next several decades. So, so you got sellers thinking that they're selling at peak value and you guys think that they're not selling at peak value, right? Cause otherwise you'd be making a shitty buy or really it's that they just, you know, they realize that, Hey, at, at, given that we've got eight years of duration left in this lease, if I wait two, I've actually materially impaired and they're just not willing to wait to, yeah, to the, I should to the say renewal. Peak, peak- Again, peak value relative to whatever their investment horizon is. And this goes back to the same principle of most of these institutional owners are are set in some type of some type of finite timeline where they have to sell these assets. There's a wind down. Yeah. 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 Even if there's an extension option beyond the wind down, that maybe they've got another 36 months. And obviously, we're not talking about the entire universe of commercial real estate. We're just talk- it doesn't have to be. It, it just has to be a small percentage that will truly mark to market. And now, you know, Fred and I are off to the races looking at deals that we think are we're fine holding on for. If we hold on to them for 10 years and they produce a, a 12, a 13, a 14 percent cash on cash return. That, like that's a that's a pretty good situation for an investor that's looking for some type of passive income. Certainly not a so, bad place for us to put our money. So, so the the deals that have the deals that have, you mentioned that you're looking at these longer duration deals now because that's an offsetting factor to the other you know kind of undercurrents. So, you know, for the commercial real estate owners that have a tenant in place and it's got six years or less of duration, are they just kind of are they just along for the ride? And they're just going to hold this thing till renewal? Or do you see them putting them out at prices that are they, there's two there's two options. They are they're they're, I guess, three. Either they're not in the market or uh, they're pricing it to sell or they're not pricing it to sell uh, because they're delusional, uh, in which case the market, it won't move at all. 
But I what, mean, what's pricing it to sell though? With with four years left on a tenant on a tenant, what's what's pricing it to sell? 12, 13% cap rate. Wow. Um, but, so but but who wants to take that risk in this environment, depending on what the and by the way, that's on office, right? So if we're talking on on retail, that might be an eight or a maybe an eight and a half. On industrial, it might be seven and a half. And it, and then it goes back to retail. Yeah, we look. Yeah, we own we own three grocery stores, a BJ's Wholesale Club, um, a Tesla dealership. If you want to consider that retail, it's really more specialty use. But um, yeah, we look at a lot of a lot of retail. But again, because we're we're very focused on having highly accretive debt, I don't consider a uh, hundred basis points between my cap rate and my cost of debt to be, you know, very accretive. I'm I'm looking for two hundred two hundred basis points mm-hmm. plus, preferably three hundred basis points. So, um, uh, we're looking. So it's what's the, not not quite there for us yet. So so what are the uh... So shifting gears slightly. So like, what what are the what's the debt situation? You go to buy this, you go to buy this asset, and and how has it changed over the what's the past twelve months? Give me the narrative of what the debt situation was twelve months ago, and walk me forward to today. Can I just show it's an been arrow? Moving fast. Can I show an arrow going down? That's how you could you could quantify it. So has it is it is it still there though? Is it still going down? But there, yeah, debt is there, but it's it it's it's there for well qualified borrowers. It, it, the leverage amount is less. Obviously, the cost is much higher. The he, he, I'll give you I'll give you a snapshot of what our 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 last loan looked like before interest rates went up to to what it would look like today. So, um, in uh, I would say our last our last like pure deal was in that we closed on in March of 2022. 10-year fixed rate debt, 3.5%, 70% loan to value, three years old interest only, and then amortizes over 30. Um, And we paid, uh, I think that was a a one-point origination fee because it was with a credit union. Almost everything else is 50 bips. Um, And that was on an eight-cap deal Um, with 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 a Fortune 50 company and investment grade credit. So that was then. Now, I would tell you, other than a handful of groups who are still kind of aggressive on the leverage standpoint, we are looking at 55% loan to value. Loan Um, to value or loan to cost? Loan to cost. I mean, sorry. Yeah, cost. Oh, and by the the way, there's a whole nother nightmarish issue as it comes to appraisals now, because uh, every appraisal firm is in cover your ass mode. So they (laughs) are- they are looking for every method possible to to devalue the property, whether or not. And we've already gone into this on a couple of deals where it's very clear they're they're you know that the lender is trying to steer the appraiser. Um, so fifty five percent loan to cost, um, almost exclusively five year term, um, maybe one year of IO. Um, Maybe two, um, non recourse. Probably, I feel like the amount of non recourse lenders has been cut in half, if not more. Um, now they're looking for at least some partial recourse. There's, there again, there's some out there. Fred and I have a, a both a, a bunch of great banking relationships, which has helped us. But it is tougher sledding what, for sure. 
like what is, be, what beyond recourse by the way I, yeah, oh, yeah beyond are, bad boys beyond bad boys and and uh and yeah, completion so maybe, guarantees yeah so maybe so so our guarantee will be let's say it's a five million dollar loan they want us to cover the first million dollars of losses mm-hmm. which we we don't we don't because we syndicate our equity that doesn't make but, sense for fred and us to do uh, and i to do we wouldn't we're going to put in 10% of the money, but we're going to take 100% of the risk. That 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 doesn't make sense for any investor. But by the way, you know, the way we look at this, it's it's really simple. Because I, I, you know, when I get, uh, when I go to panels uh, or conferences and I speak on panels and, you know, I'm up there with a the multifamily guy or someone else and I have them walk through their business plan. And, and their business plan generally revolves around when interest rates get lower. Cool. Great. If they don't, what happens? Okay. They earn a very, very, very poor cash on cash return and then ultimately have to sell, probably not making any money upon the disposition. Our investment thesis is pretty simple. I am going to double or possibly triple your cash on cash return. And then if interest rates come down, I benefit Sentinel benefits in the same way you do. Now, our cap rates aren't going down from nine and a half percent to 5%, but they don't have to. They just need to go down 100 basis points, 150 basis points, the same way you're underwriting, even less for us to still outperform the potential IRR because we are already deriving between 10 to 15% or more per year in income from the property. And that's really the biggest delta here. If you're going to make, a, if your investment thesis involves the speculative bet of of interest rate decreases we are going to beat the shit out of your strategy every time because of how much in place income we already have Hmm. i've silenced the crowd i I appreciate that i've that's what i always yeah which is which is right now given the lower leverage that dennis was mentioning which is why duration now really matters because and we have to have that spread on on a higher cost of funds so to, to find deals you got to find nine caps i mean we're dennis will send me he'll go as he as as he said he'll go through 150 deals he'll send me five to look at you know that there, he's there's still an to. underlying there's still an underlying bet that there is positive terminal value right like yes. that's still a that, that is part of your thesis here is that like these are not going to be worthless and eight years from now there's going to be a tenant and we're and and we're not buying c-class stuff that's going to be completely obsolete we're buying a's and b's that are still going to be that, that, that are still going to be desirable and hey we're probably not going to build any office for the next like several years so like that's going to be the inventory in right. a growing in american economy well, well that i think that's a really good point jack because that is the conventional wisdom on office is nobody's ever going back into the office again but if you really look at the data and you look at what you're hearing from the executives of fortune 500 companies they are pushing as fast as they can to get people back into the office at least three to four days a week. They'd love more if they can get it, but right now we're in such a such a uh, employee friendly labor market because we're, we have a shortage. Let's face it, right? We have uh, we have all of the baby boomers exiting the workforce and not enough people to replace them in a growing economy, which has been a big challenge. So the employer has not had as much leverage 
as they've wanted uh, over this, but you can see the writing on the wall. Um, it does not mean that we're going to go back to what normal office utility was before 2020. We don't think that. And we're obviously bullish on office to a degree. We also look at suburban office uh, as a completely different universe than than downtown central business dis- district offices. You know, we don't want to get uh, we don't invest in in downtown areas right now. We are. We we are uh, we're firmly convinced these doom loops that are occurring in these areas where nobody's in the uh, nobody's in the office nobody's using the restaurants nobody's using the retail that's that's a problem for the foreseeable future doesn't mean the end of all downtowns that's a little silly but what you have seen is a revitalization of the suburbs in a way that they have the amenities commercial services restaurants that that just were never there before you know it's no longer just a sea of of you know, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, and Chili's and Applebee's and 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 Chick Fil A. It's like these suburbs have some pretty hopping in spots now all throughout the country because they understand that people want high quality attractions and amenities close to them. So that that helps it. That helps from that perspective. Um, and then, in addition to your point on the supply side, um, you know, we are buying Class A properties that were built within the last twenty years. Um, one of our recent acquisitions was uh, called Bannockburn Corporate Center in, in Bannockburn, Illinois. This is one of the nicest suburbs in the greater Chicago area. The average median income is a quarter of a million dollars. Um, the, we acquired the building for $126 a square foot. It would cost $550 to build today per square foot. And it had the lowest tax rate in as a municipality in the, in the region. Right. Right. There's a lot, again, a lot of the nuances of diligence, right? So so you look at Chicago, Chicago as a metro area is kind of losing population, but it's still the mm-hmm. third biggest economy in the United States. So uh, yes, it's losing population, but it's still much more dense than a lot of these growing areas that you're talking about are. And so then we look for some of the some of the positives, right? Because the entire metro area is not painted the exact same way. So we look, okay, let's look at where the let's look at where the population is actually growing. That's in the North Shore area where we're at. Let's look at where the Fortune 500 companies are. That's where we're at. So we're looking at some of the the quantitative and qualitative uh, data to help in, inform on these micro locations within the larger metro areas, even if the metro area doesn't necessarily point positive. Uh, but so then we have these class A buildings that are at a fraction of replacement cost. A, that's a defensive barrier against new construction as it is, right? We've got a nice building, but we have it at 20 to 30% of replacement cost. Um, we know people aren't building new office right now in a lot of these markets as it is, because obviously it doesn't make sense. Um, and that we and we know that a lot of the older class C 70s, 80s, even 90s era stuff. It is is going away in a lot of markets. It's being knocked down or repurposed for residential, um, and and even for groups that do want to stay in and have their workforce in the office, they're not moving into those older buildings. They're moving into nicer ones like we have. So uh, because there's still affordability there, and that gives us a lot of flexibility, and that we could we could lower our rents by twenty or thirty percent in a lot of our buildings and still produce a substantial cash on cash return. We don't need to, but having by having acquiring at that lower basis gives us a lot of flexibility to navigate, uh, uh, you know, a very spongy market. 
So speaking, Greg, uh, of, go ahead, Greg. No, go well, ahead. I was going to say, you know, the, this this morass and frustration that you've been in since May of last year. It's sort of up until a month ago. What are you excited about over the next several months? You know, given given the headwinds that we obviously have that don't appear to be going away with interest rates and um, um, things I, like that. Yeah, I'm. I, I think I'm just more excited that there are market participants on both sides that that are ready to transact. Mm-hmm. I think that the last, you know, 12, 13, 14 months have helped stabilize the a, a clearer picture of what is going to actually happen with the Fed. And I think, you know, Fred alluded to that on the last episode that and that's why you see that's why you've now seen the 10-year treasury, you know, increase further like people have an idea that this is not going to be a roller coaster of interest rates. Like we 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 are climbing and we still may climb a little more. And then we're going to be riding steady for quite some time until the market experiences some pain that's going to cause, you know, rates to come back down. So uh, I think it's us buying under this new paradigm, knowing we can still generate an above average cash on cash return. And then ultimately, uh, take advantage of any cap rate compression that occurs if it occurs if it doesn't occur that's okay if it doesn't okay if it doesn't occur we're going to we're going to outperform the cash on cash return of other invest uh, of other real estate assets um and if it does we think we're going to be able to produce a value add or opportunistic level return without actually taking any dis- construction development or lease up risk Jack, yeah, I think um, you know maybe uh, Craig, we tie this up with a bow. I th- you know I think that the takeaway for me is that you know you know especially kind of juxtaposed versus our previous conversation about build to rent, this is, you know different asset classes have different uh, are investable at different times and probably investable I would say at all times, but with different strategies and. For you know, build to rent right now, or even single family overall, I think that what works right now is fix and flipping on deals that make sense, where you're able to buy assets um, at the you know the right original cost basis because the top line hasn't come down. And to the extent that you're a long term holder and using leverage right now, know that you're not going to get a phenomenal cash on cash return out of your incremental rental property assets. And as long as you've got a capital base that has that in mind, that has that very long term and is not doesn't need the the high cash on cash of today, then you know if you get you know if you're making a long term bet on American housing, I, I'm I'm down with that thesis. I think it makes sense. Whereas you can look at office and say, hey, there's some 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 uncertainty about what ten years from now looks like. Mitigate those ten year horizon downside risks through high current cash on cash and having and, and make believing that you've got an asset that do, that is going to have terminal value and so you know it's it's not an uninvestable asset class it's just that you need to have a thoughtful thesis on what works today and then a mining operation right to then go find what you think is congruent with that thesis and that's um you know I think I think that's probably the takeaway for me on uh, you know how to approach different different asset classes at different points in the cycle, right? It doesn't mean that you should never, you know, it's, you don't need to just sit on the sidelines for a particular asset class ever. You may need to pivot your, your approach, your, your screening criteria. 
And it uh, seems like you guys are doing a great job of that at Sentinel on the commercial side. I would have loved to have heard more about the mining operation because I think that really hits people exactly where they live mostly in this business. Um, you know, it will always be a business of, of mining, obviously. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say what's interesting. I'm sure Dennis will add all the detail to it is that uh, we had to really kind of sit back and refine what we thought were the assumptions we wanted to operate under in order to remine the, the kind of assets that we thought that our investors would invest in, our banks would lend on, and and would have the the kind of product that we were willing to hold, both from from how much capital was invested in the product, uh, and the price per pound, you know, perspective. We had a re, re, how, early on, how early on did you guys have to redefine that? Just last week. Oh. <laughs> I mean, just last week, the week before, two weeks ago. I mean, it it was. Either we sit back and, and find the needle in the haystack or come up with a refined thesis on saying, okay, this exact, these four boxes, if it hits these four boxes or six boxes, then we'll buy into those boxes. And I think Dennis can, can talk about what we just recently have kind of refined it to so that we can mine to those boxes. Yeah, I, I th yeah, I, I would tell you. Because Fred and I pay so much attention to the capital markets, we are constantly evolving what we think is a good deal. Uh, but it really wasn't until recently where we felt like, okay, we know there has been a, a, a true transition in the market that's going to be here for the next couple of years. How are we going to assess everything going forward? Right. Because now we know what we didn't know before. We know mm -hmm. there is no roller coaster in rates. Uh, we know that the distress in the commercial real estate world is probably going to be slower than what we anticipated. And so what is the best way to still play in this sandbox where we can buy assets that make sense to us? today. And I think that's the most important thing for any investor. And that's where a lot of investors get, they, they get sideways is they start to underwrite to tomorrow and you have no fucking idea what's happening tomorrow any more than anybody else. So that is the biggest problem is, does it make sense today? And so mm -hmm. uh, uh, literally we were sitting in Dana Point last week going over these key elements like, okay, yeah, we agree that the lease term should be at least X. We think the total return of capital has to be at least this. We need a spread from our uh, from our cap rate to our debt of of Y, and you know, and putting all those together builds this buy box that makes it a little easier to navigate through all the all the fluff, you know, all the listings, all the mm -hmm. back channel inside deals that that we're looking at. It's it's pretty easy to get to a quick no now. Because in this environment, there's still a lot of risk at play. And so the best way to, to avoid that is really just by creating a very tight construct that we operate within. And how much of what you're seeing, how much of what you're seeing is actually on the market versus you get the call from the guy who just, you know, found out about a potential listing? You know, if, I mean, it's pretty, I would say probably 80% of what we see is on the market. Um, or about to be on the market because, you know, mm -hmm. in the commercial real estate world, 
it's it's not quite this there's not bird dogs the way you see in the single family world quite the same way you know it's like ah you know i know a guy who owns a million square feet of industrial you know or whatever it's there's just you know there's not a back channel to a 400 million dollar asset or something the same way there is to a house in plano so it's 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 a little bit of a different animal um we have a lot of direct conversations with the existing owners uh and and we're working on you know, growing our direct to owner operator channel as well, because we think there's a good runway on the sale leaseback business over the next several years as corporate debt gets more and more expensive and cash becomes king for those groups as well. Um, but it's um, it, it, it'll it'll be tough. You know, I think we have a very we have very strong conviction in what we're doing, but ultimately. Um, it, the, the the proof's in the pudding. You know, we still have to go out and raise that capital. We have to find a lender that agrees with us and can and can play ball all the way to completion. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of moving pieces to get a deal done in this market, period. Well, Dennis, it has been uh, just a genuine pleasure to uh, speak with you. Can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, really enjoy the conversation that we had in, in episode 12 about build to rent. And then obviously this one has just been a real eye opener, I'm sure for many. Um, so thank you again for, for that. I hope we can have you back sometime again. Uh, I don't know what we can pay you probably nothing again, but you'll have the microphone and the camera ready to go. I'm keeping, so. I'm keeping the gear. I'm keeping the gear. I, well, thanks for having me guys. It's uh, you know, I talk shop with, uh, with, with Fred every day and, uh, I've known Jack for years, and Craig, it was it was great to to know you. I'm glad you guys are doing this podcast for uh, for your clients and other investors out there. I think this is a, you know, in, in this universe, all this information is available for free. Um, so uh, I I love that you are making this as resource available to folks right now instead of uh, them finding some huckster to pay ten thousand dollars to find uh, this kind of information. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, I will tell you that I've received some uh, feedback from folks that have been listening, and uh, they're really impressed with the depth of the content. Uh, really glad that we're doing it. So um, I'm thankful for just adding more to that today. Uh, today was a real deep dive into two great topics that, that affect many. So thank you again. That's episode 13. Jack from Copenhagen, Fred from some undisclosed bunker. And uh, me here at Dominion getting ready to the go office. raid the place. So <laughs> they're not here. <laughs> guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, we'll guys. Thank you. Soon.